been warning, this is the month of love. 25 years ago, and I know that's a long time, most longer than some of y'all have been born, but there was a, a man who wrote a book called um, the, the Five Love Languages. His name was, I think it's Dr. Gary Chapman. And of course, there are so many good marriage um, resources and books out there that you can hardly name one, but this one meant a lot to Mark and I when we were first married. Of course, they've revised it and updated it, and now he's got love languages for children and, and your pets and everything else that there can be. But um, I, I like it because it's very simple. I like it because you don't have to have uh, graphs and charts and, and, and weeks and weeks of, of prep time. I like it because it's, 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 very, it's very simple. And when you put these things into action, quite effective. So we're going to start out this morning talking about, about the five love languages. And I believe he was the first one to actually coin that phrase, which everybody says now. And one of the things I thought about Valentine's Day as I was thinking about it, trying to think about what I wanted to buy myself, because at this stage of the game, for my birthday and for Christmas, Pastor Mark will look at me and goes, what did I get you this year? What did I get you for your birthday? And it works just fine for us. I love it. I absolutely love it. So Valentine's, I think, is more about feeling the love. Because when you've been married for a while, and some of y'all have been married five, ten years 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I see the McCubbins out there, Methuselah McCubbin out there, 40 plus years. We're going on 44. You know you're in, you know you love each other, right? You know, it's like it's like a fungus. You can't get rid of each other. You're committed. You're committed. You're not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You love each other. But sometimes you like to feel in love again. Not to have the, the head knowledge, yes, I know he loves me, yes, I know I love him. No, we're not going anywhere till death do us part. Yay. Now that's good. But you want to feel it. And so Valentine's for me is about f- being able to feel that feeling again, just in, in, in some small way. So it's just a nice reminder. So let's go over some of the, there's only five. Some of you will already know these. Some of you will be hearing this for the first time. But I encourage you to pick up the book by Dr. Chapman. Um, and the five ways, and how he explains it is, and we'll, do, we'll go through these five very quickly, is that we all have a way that we need love to be expressed to us so that we can actually feel that it's love coming from that person. And he's come up with five, and it's fairly comprehensive. You might be able to think of another. But, but when, when you discover how you need to be loved so that it feels like love to you, your, your, your partner, your spouse, doesn't have to, to do all these gymnastics. Once he finds out what shows love to you, what feels like love, what you receive as love, then he can concentrate on doing these things for you and, and vice versa. So the first thing he says of the five are words of affirmation. Some people need to hear, I love you. You are so special. You mean the world to me. I'm so thankful that God has brought us together. Some people need to hear those words. And like Jim Sellers, he's not here, so I'll talk about him. He says, you know what? I told you I loved you when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. Well, if Christine's love language is words, that's not going to work, is it? Because what feels like love to some of us are to hear I love you. Now, everyone likes to hear it, but it doesn't mean as much to some people. It's like, well, yeah, talk is cheap. Words are easy. But some people, it's, it, it, it's what seals and makes them actually feel, I, I love him. He loves me. I feel their love. 
The second way is acts of service. And for those of y'all that split chores in your home, this might be like, well, I'm already doing acts of service. I already do the dishes three times a week. I already vacuumed the floor. We're not talking about the routine chores that you and your spouse have divided amongst the family. This is over and above. This is something that you do for the person that you love because they need to have acts of service done to feel love. That's bringing them a cup of coffee in bed or rubbing their feet or, I mean, the list is endless. And as you get to know your, your spouse, you can know what acts of service Really genuinely tell her or tell him, I'm thinking about you and I love you. And I'm doing this for you because I have a deep love for you. And this act of service I'm doing is to show you. And for the people who have acts of service as their love language, that's what that communicates when they bring you coffee in the morning or when they are the last one to bed at night and turn out all the lights and make sure all the doors are locked, or if they're the ones to take the kids to carpool, whatever. For people who love acts of service that says, I feel filled up when you do that. That's something very simple that we can learn and do. For some, receiving gifts. Now, this isn't mine, so I, I, but I know it's a lot of people, not just, not just women, but men as well. It doesn't have to be expensive gifts. It doesn't have to be diamond rings or, or cars or boats. It can be simple things. and will have to be simple things. But some people just love to get a gift. They love to unwrap it. These are the people that are just crazy at Christmas time. And they take their time unwrapping presents. Do you have a friend like that? Or maybe a daughter or a son or a husband or a wife. They take their time. They don't want to tear up the wrapping paper because receiving gifts is a sign that they are loved. That is their love language. I see husbands and wives all throughout the audience with each one of them going like this and like that. So yes, you can see that it's, it's true. So receiving gifts is another way. The next is quality time. Have you ever known a couple that they are constantly together? We had a couple years ago, and, and even though he wasn't retired yet, they were constantly going places together. And I remember thinking, you need a break? I mean, don't you, don't you want to go to the store by yourself? I mean, you can't buy shoes if, if you're lugging him around. You know, I'm thinking of all the things I couldn't do if he was with me. But they were like always together. And it finally dawned on me, quality time is both of their love languages. Just spending time when it's not required. Yeah, we all come to church together. That's kind of required. But outside of, of taking the kids to practice, outside of taking the kids to school, making an effort to spend time together. And maybe you don't have to talk. Maybe you don't have to get a gift. Maybe you don't have to go out to dinner. Just taking a walk together, something like that. So some of you will recognize, and it will resonate with you. Yeah, I like quality time. I like spending time with him. I love spending time with her. And some people won't understand that because that's not their love language. But you'll understand it if it's your love language. You understand what we're talking about. And the last one, I put this one last because if I put it first, I would have lost all the men in the crowd. That would have been it. Well, that's the love language that we don't need to go any further. That's it. That's mine right there. But if you see the, the last part of that, physical touch is what? Oh, you said that with so much excitement. You're thrilled. This is your favorite. Okay. So non-sexual touching because otherwise... We all know what would be number one. We all know. There's no non-hugging, holding hands, putting your arms around each other. Now, those of you that know me know that this is one of my love languages. I 
I touch people. I hug total strangers. My kids are so embarrassed with me when we go out to dinner with someone we've never met before. I'll go in for the hug. And sometimes it's awkward and sometimes they're like, I guess we're doing this. Come on. You know, they don't know. But it, 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 I like to touch people. I like to touch their shoulder. I like to touch their arm. I, I, I just enjoy it. I do. So you've got to find out, yes, you've got to find out what says love to you. And then you have to find out what says love to your mate. And oh, if they could just line up together and they don't. They don't. They never do because we're so different. My husband's love language, Pastor Mark, his love language is acts of service. So those of you that know him know that he usually has a tool in his hand. And while we're all sitting down talking, he's up trying to figure out what makes this little switch go off and on or whatever. That's his love language. And um, we, we quarrel like every couple that's been married longer than the honeymoon will do. And we have a, a general policy. And that general policy is we will agree to disagree without being disagreeable. That's our general policy. I mean, we're not going to agree together on everything. I have a different opinion than he has. His might be right. Mine might be right. doesn't matter. This is how we see it. And we are going to agree that we disagree on this issue, and we're not going to be nasty about it. We're not going to be petulant about it. We're not going to sulk about it. We're just going to, we're going to disagree without being disagreeable. But about every five years or so... We have a kablooey, and then the, and there's no there's no going back. You just have to go forward and hope that hope that you're both still alive at the end of the argument. And so, about 15 years ago, this happened. I mean, obviously we've argued since then, but I mean the the, the cataclysmic one, the end. This is the end of, of the, the war of all wars. One happened about 15 years ago. And um, I know I knew that acts of service was my husband's love language. I knew that. I knew it. And yet, I had made a comment. I think it was like for my 50th birthday or something long ago like that. I said, oh, it would be nice to float down the St. John's River together and just spend the day. Because he had asked me what I wanted to do for my birthday. That was back when he was still asking. And um, I go, oh, it would be nice to float down the river. and You can fish if you want to. I just want to, you know, get my book and read and just be so peaceful. He's like, okay. Well, to float down the river, you have to have a boat, right? And we have a boat. And it looks like something off of the, it looked like something off of the, the back end of a, I don't know what. So he goes out in the morning and he starts working on that boat and he's working and he's working. So lunch comes around and I'm just, okay, well, he's still working at one o'clock, two o'clock. I go shopping because he's still working on that boat. And I'm thinking, thinking to myself, I don't even want to go anymore. I don't even want, I don't, I've changed, I've changed my mind. It's my prerogative, right? I've changed my mind. Five hours into it, I've changed my mind. Now, man, you have to still keep loving me because I'm a wonderful wife, I promise. But anyway, <laughs> this is just that one funny time. So it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. So I, so he gets me in, and I'm thinking, Jesus, forgive me. I'm thinking, well, he has to fix the boat anyway if he wants to go fishing ever again. So it's not like he's doing it for me because he has to fix the boat. So I had kind of let that thought ferment in my mind for uh, over and over again for a while. So about three o'clock, 3.30, he, dra- you know, he hooks the boat up to the car and brings it around to the truck and says, okay, let's go. And I was like, 
I'm trying to hint, I'm trying to hint as nicely as I can. Boy, it would be nice to go to dinner. Wouldn't it be nice just to go out to dinner or just to forget it all and go out to dinner? He doesn't hear me or, or he's shut down. The amygdala part of his brain has shut down and he just doesn't want to acknowledge what I just said. So we drive down the driveway, get to almost I-4. I'm like, honey, I just, I just don't feel like going on the way. It's, it's kind of late. I just don't. He is so tired and so disgusted because his love language is acts of service. He's fixing that boat up for me it's six hours later, but I'm not feeling it now. So he's like, he turned, he turned the truck around. We went home. He goes upstairs, gets in bed, and falls asleep. It's like 6 o'clock in the evening. I'm thinking, what the freak? It's my birthday. We're not going to do anything. He is, I, so I go upstairs, and of course women, and I'm way, God, this isn't even a point. But women, women, men, we cannot understand how you can fall asleep in the middle of a knockdown, drag-out argument. How is that even possible? So I thought, well, surely maybe he's taking a shower to take me out to dinner or something. I walk up, and he is asleep in bed. He is so disgusted, he just shuts down. And I'm like, I, so I think I made a tuna fish sandwich or something at about 7 o'clock. And I, it was terrible. But, but I didn't remember. I didn't remember. I, I didn't get the, imp, the importance of the fact that he was showing me love by working on that boat for so many hours. Even though in my mind, it's like, well, he's got to fix it anyway. So is it really for me? Or is it really because he wants to go fishing next week? You know, I don't, which was wrong. I, I admit that. But anyway. So when you know your spouse's language of love, what makes, you can forget about doing all the other things you've thought of over the years. Just find out what makes them feel special and focus on that. Amen? Okay, this also applies to parents, to children. Your children have a love language. They, there are ways that they need to be loved that speak to them specifically. Mom loves me. Dad loves me. Now, there are some people that have an innate ability to know, to be able to read people. And when the, when the kids were growing up through middle school and, and high school, Aslan would always complain. Come home and complain. Mom, Jared gets by with everything. He, he won't believe what he did at school today. And the teacher just laughed at him. The teacher just smiled at him. He never gets put in detention. He never has to stay home. He never gets time out. And it's like some people just know where the line is. You can go up to that line. Make them feel special and everything's okay. Now, obviously, life comes along and you learn that, although it still works pretty good for him, I have to say, and it just aggravates his sister to no end. But learning your teacher's love language, the people that you work with, if you're in a relationship day after day after day with someone, find out, try to discern what their love language is to make that relationship one that's more meaningful. But let's go on. So that brings me to my thought. This is what I was thinking of this week. If we have a language, something that shows us that we are loved, does God have a love language? Is there something that we can do that tells God, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I adore you. I am showing my love for you. And this verse, First John, now, this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. He was, um, according to scriptures, his most beloved disciple. This is the same man. And he talks a lot about love 
and he's qualified to do that. This is the man that when Jesus was on the cross, he looked at his mother and said, John, take care of her. He looked at his mother and said, this is the one that will care for you until you die. And his brothers weren't at the foot of the cross. They didn't believe at this time that Jesus was God's son. They weren't anywhere to be found. And this is the man that Jesus entrusted his mother to. So he knows a lot about love. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. We've taught the last couple of weeks about how much God loves us. That there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. As believers, there's nothing that we won't do or can't do that will cause God to love us more. He loves us. But when we start to think about how do we love God, how does he want to be loved, we have to look about what he tells us in his word. And the first, I'm just going to tell you two things, and this is the first one. This is the basic. For those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. And what does that mean? Christ, you know, means Messiah. It means Savior. So the first thing in learning how to love God the way he wants to be loved, not the way we think he should want to be loved, but the way he's actually said he wants to be loved, this is the first thing, to believe that he sent his son as the Messiah or as the Savior. We need a Savior. He didn't send an economist. He didn't send a psychologist. He didn't send a, a, a financial person. He sent his son because we needed a Savior. Sin has always been our biggest problem. And so Jesus paid the price for our biggest problem, our greatest need, the one thing that separated us from him. He took care of it with this. And so for those of us that want to show God that we love him, this is the first step. We must believe that the person that, Je that God sent, who is his son, is the sacrifice, is the baseline for any relationship with God. Yes, God loves us before we love him. He loved us when we were in our sin, but we can't love God until we can assert this, until we can say, Jesus, you are my savior. You are the Christ. You are my Messiah. I need you to cleanse me from my sin. And this is the first way that we can show God that we love him is by accepting what he did for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the Christ. He is the savior. He is the Messiah. Um, have you ever been to a restaurant and on the menu it says no substitutions, please? Like maybe like number, number seven on the menu, they've laid out what they want to offer and it says no substitutions. It means you can't put chicken in there. Most of the time you can, but there's, there's some things that there are no substitutions allowed. And this is one of those things. You can't insert your own truth here and expect to be made right with God. You can't assert another religion here and expect to be right with God. This is what he says he is asking that we believe his son is the sacrifice that he sent and the one that he will accept. Amen? All right. He goes on to say, 
This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. For that is what love for God is. That is what love for God is to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. It's very simple. Believe that he sent Jesus to be the substitute for your sin, that you need a savior. I am, I'm astonished at how many people do not think they need a savior, don't think they need to be rescued. It's, it's almost like they're embarrassed to say it. But, but we can see from their life that things are not working. But to admit, I need, I need to be rescued in this area. For some people, it's just a bridge too far. It's too much pride is involved. But he says, if this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And then Jesus himself said, if you love me, obey my commandments. There's no secret. It's not hidden. It's not a treasure that we have to dig deep into the word. It's simple because this is what it takes to show God that we love him. This is what he's asked from us. Now, when you're raising your children, some of y'all are in the throes of it, and some of y'all are on the tail end of it. We're all in different stages. But if your child or if your children repeatedly disobeyed you, I don't mean just a one-off or they're having a bad day or they're, you know, running with some bad kids and so for one week, you know, but I mean repeatedly disobeyed you. I, as a parent, would see that as disrespect. You're not respecting our home. You're not respecting our house rules. You're not respecting what's been given to you. You're not respecting your mother. You're not respecting your father. That's how I would feel as, 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 a, as a parent. You don't have any respect for us. And I wonder sometimes if God thinks that. When we disobey the things that are so simple to do, does he see that as disrespect? When we constantly say no to the Holy Spirit. Not now, maybe next week. I don't want to do that now. I'm not ready for that yet. I love you, God, but I can't forgive him. I love you, God. I love you. But no, I'm not going to walk in step with you. I'm not going to restore fellowship to that person. No. I love you, God. I love you. Shut up, kids. I love you, God. I love you. I just want to show you how much I love you. Hmm. God's love language is obedience. It's a process, isn't it? It's a process. Please don't think that anyone on staff here or anyone in leadership here has arrived. There is no arrival until the Lord returns. It's a process. But the important thing about a process is we have a choice. So let's look at the choice we have to obey for just a few moments. Obedience is a what? What does it say obedience is? It's a journey. It's a journey. And it starts as an option. And you know that's true. You always have a choice to obey or disobey. You always have that choice. I, I find it interesting, the people that, that don't like the fact that God gives man free will. The people that rail against, well, if there were really a God, if he were really a loving God, there wouldn't be evil in the world. There wouldn't be these atrocities happening. But yet it's the same people that don't want to be told how to behave themselves. All of the terrible, 
horrible things that have happened in this world since time began. All the atrocities of war and the, and, and the hatred of man toward another man, that's all started with a choice. Are you going to love this person, this group of people, this ethnic group of people, this financial group of people, or are you going to hate this group of people? Are you going to be indifferent toward this group of people? Every command that God has is a choice for us to obey. And every awful thing that's happened, those people had a choice. God allowed them to choose just like he's allowing me to choose and you to choose. And honestly, disobeying is easier. It really is easier to do. It's so much easier in the moment to tell just a little thing we like to call a white lie, which there is no such thing, but a lie is a lie. But in the moment, sometimes it's easier not to speak the truth in love, isn't it? Or maybe it's just me. It's so much easier to rehearse the hurt or the offense over and over and over in your mind rather than to obey God and put those thoughts, to stop those thoughts and think life about that person, to think life about that situation. I have a choice. Every time those thoughts go tumbling in my head, I have a choice. Am I going to obey and show God that I love him or am I going to disobey? It's so much easier to disobey. It's so much easier to enslave than it is to liberate. Get a lot of people that will help you enslave another person, enslave your body to addictions. You'll always have someone that will help you be enslaved. But freedom is what we want. Liberation is what we want. And there will always be a choice. God will never force you to serve him. But he said, if you want to show me that you love me, do what I've asked you to do. There's a verse in Proverbs, I, I didn't put it up there, but it says, um, I, from the message, you can rationalize all you want, justify the path of error you have chosen, but you'll find out in the end that the road you took is to destruction. So we take the easy way out first, which is disobedience. But how many times, if you think back over your life, how many times have we taken the disobedient road, the easy road, and you see where it ended up, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So here's the question. If you're doing what breaks God's heart, why do you think, how can it possibly fulfill your heart? How can it possibly fulfill your heart if you know it's breaking God's heart? Think about your life. When you had the option, you had the choice. You chose the easier way. Thinking just this once, oh, it's going to feel so good to do that. It's going to feel so good to go there. It's going to be so good to, to, to be with this man. It's going to feel so good to be with this woman. I know it's not the right answer, but it's going to just feel so good. I really, really need this. But it cannot fulfill you if it's against what God's told us as his children to do and to be. Before I do the last verse, I just want to point out something. How
how we view our options. Am I going to obey or am I going to disobey? How we view that very option so many times reflects on what we believe to be true about God. If we think God is angry and a bitter old man up in heaven and doesn't want you to have any fun, he's trying to suck the joy out of life out of you. He's trying to take every ounce of pleasure you have and just break it. If that is your idea of God, if that is your concept, if that's your view, then how you view your options, well, that's a no-brainer. I'm going to do what I want to do because God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. Even though in his word he said, I've come that you might have and life to the... That's the truth. But if I view my options, well, God doesn't care. He doesn't love me. He doesn't even know I exist. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I think he's uninvolved in my life. If that's how you view your father, that's how you view your options. That gives you permission to disobey because you don't think God is worth it anyway. You don't think God loves you anyway. You don't think he cares about you. Yes, he cares about her, but he doesn't care about me. Did you see what happened in this family? And look what's happening to mine. God isn't fair. God is unfair. And if you believe God is unfair, then how you view your options, will I obey or will I disobey? It changes everything. If you don't know that God loves you dearly and deeply and primarily and above all else, and if you don't know that he wants you to accept that sacrifice so that you can live a life that is rich and full and free, If you don't believe that, then how you view your options is you'll choose disobedience every single time. Every time. If you think the Bible is archaic, and yes, I know we're living in the new covenant, but even in the new covenant, you think, I don't want to tell people I read the Bible. I I don't believe it's a good Bible. I believe there's parts of it I can take, parts of it I can't take. And that's what you believe about the Bible, then you won't believe the parts where he says, follow me. Take up your cross. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I will give you all these other things. I will, I will, because I love you. But seek me first. Obey me. Show me that you love me. But if we think that it's archaic, it's not even true. It was written by mere men. It's not the inspired word of God. All of those things play with your mind. So when it's time to obey and you look at your options, obey or disobey, what you think about God What you think about his word, go along with that flow because you don't really believe what God says, that he is for you. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He loves you. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands His commands are not a burden. See, we think his commands are a burden. We think his commands are to keep us from having fun, to keep us from fulfilling our life to the the max. That's what we really think when we look at our choices and go, "Mm, I know God told us to be kind and forgiving, but I don't feel like forgiving them right now. They haven't acted like they even need my forgiveness. They don't deserve my forgiveness. So forgive, not forgive. For right now, I'm gonna not forgive. Bible says not to forsake the assembling together. I don't feel like going to church. I gotta get all the kids dressed. There's gonna be an argument. Bible says don't forsake assembling together. Don't forsake it. Come together. There's strength. My spirit will be present. Come together. I don't feel like it. Obey those in authority. I don't wanna obey those in authority. He doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. 
I haven't had a raise in 10 years. Don't get any vacation. I don't, I don't des- they don't deserve my respect. Ask in faith. Well, God, please, could you please just, I'm begging you, I'm begging you. The Bible says ask in faith. As a beloved child, ask in faith. I'm not sure he wants me to do this. I'm not sure he wants me to have that. Our rhema for this year, that means our special verse that we are going to keep saying over and over our congregation is ask God for more. Ask for more. And maybe God is saying to ask, I want more too. I want more obedience. I want more followers to actually do what I've asked them to do. His word is not a burden. His commands are not a burden. Keep your word, he says. Honor your marriage vows. Make disciples. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. Those are his commands. And he says that they're not a burden. But what do we think? We look, it feels like a burden to me. It feels like a burden to me. He doesn't need my money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why does he need my money? Because he wants to see, does he have your heart? Does he have your heart? Does he have your love? Show him. Show him by obeying. Would you stand with me, please? Let's read this last sentence together. You will never fully trust God to lead you until you understand. Even to trust those simple commands that we all know that we learned in children's church to love one another to be kind to one another, forgiving faults, to honor our mother and our father. Even those simplest commands that we learned as a child, if we are not convinced that God loves us, wants the best for us, and when we have that choice, am I going to avoid, uh, obey that it says, honor my marriage vows? Or am I going to just, no one's going to know. No one's going to know. But God said, if you love me, you want to show me that you love me? Yes, worship. Yes, do these things. But obey me. I'm going to ask Pastor David to come out. And as he's, as he's coming, I just want to remind you of one more thing. You know, if you ask Christians what the ultimate act, loving act toward us is, most of us would say it's Jesus' death on the cross because that's a, no greater love has anyone that they lay down their life. But if, think about it. When Jesus was dying on the cross, what was the thing that he said? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Even in that last act of love, he's asking us to obey. He's obeying. He's forgiving. He's doing what he's asking us to do. Pastor David, would you pray? Lord, we thank you that you did so many things, so much, and paid such an incredible price to come and get us in return. And the least that we can do is obey your commands, showing that we love you. Lord, we thank you that... Um, the deeper we believe this, the deeper our commitment shows to our fellow man, to our brothers and sisters that uh, at the end of the day, we want this belief to drive deep, deep down into our bones and become part of our DNA, that it would be our nature. Uh, Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we thank you that you sent your son in Jesus' name.
Amen.